0: and click on the Building fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks and God bless.
1: Good morning. So there is the uh, story about three schoolyard boys that were bragging about their dads. As boys do, You know, the kind of my dad can beat up your dad kind of bragging. And this time they were going to talk about their dad's careers. And the first boy said, Well, my dad, all he has to do is scribble down some words on a paper. He calls it a poem. And they pay him $100 for it. And the second boy says, Oh, yeah, well, my dad can write some words down on a piece of paper and call it a song. And he gets $1,000. And the third kid says... Oh, yeah, well, my dad scribbles some words down on paper and calls it a sermon and takes six people to collect buckets of money every Sunday morning. (laughs) It's fun to tell pastor jokes when he's not around. (laughs) Bragging is one of those things, it's funny business, isn't it? We learn it on the schoolyard and it never stops. Pride kind of swells in all of us, and that is what we're going to be talking about this morning a little bit. Can I tell you what I think is one of the funniest verses in all the Bible? And maybe maybe you'll find it funny too, I don't know. It's Numbers 12, 3. So yeah, it's Numbers 1, 2, 3, if you think of it that way. And it says there, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. No one's laughing. Why is this funny? Because do you know who wrote the book of Numbers? (laughs) (laughs) Moses. (laughs) Moses. Moses said he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. It's kind of like when Muhammad Ali said when you're as great as I am, it's hard to be humble. <laughs> or, or maybe uh, it's like the guy uh, who said he was going to become more humble. And so he spent some time working on humility. And at the end of three weeks, he said, I really think it's starting to take. I think, like, I'm seeing some changes in my life. This humility thing is really kicking in. And his friend said, well, you, m- you must be really proud of yourself. And he's like, that's right, I am. <laughs> I am. See, pride and humility are at odds with each other. And in our society, we get these things turned around so easily. It's so commonplace for us to think that it's the right thing to be proud of ourselves all the time. And we learn that all throughout our life. And the Bible has something different to say about it. So I want to take a look this morning at that. This morning, I have kind of this duty as a herald to bring some pretty obvious truths out of the Bible and share them with you. I'm not bringing bringing anything that's groundbreaking out, nothing that you haven't heard before, but just something that I think God has given me to have us all think about a little bit this morning. So, too much pride, or I'm sorry, too much humility, the quote says, too much humility is just more pride. (laughs) And maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, this isn't about me. (laughs) I don't have this problem. Or maybe you're thinking this isn't what's going on in my life right now, I don't need to hear about pride and humility because I'm having problems with relationships, or I'm having problems uh, with my career, or I have a loved one who is sick, or whatever it might be that you bring in this morning, or that I bring in this morning, I believe that this message is for all of us because it's going to help us take our eyes off of our own stuff by the time we're done you with me? OK. I'd like to backwards engineer. I, I told Ben this, this happened to me. <laughs> I, I was preparing starting on uh, Friday. And I had my notes typed out. And then yesterday, I added to them. And I kind of rearranged some things. And I wasn't quite settled with them. But I saved the, I actually didn't save it. So this is where, you know, where this is headed now. I didn't save my file. But I said, I'm going to wake up early and finish arranging the notes. And this morning when I woke up, my computer had restarted, and everything was gone. So um, <laughs> so I think God wanted me to say something a little differently than I had planned, so I'm doing that. So I'm going to reverse engineer this. We're talking about humility today, but we're going to f- start off by talking about this, the church, this, where we are uh, as a people. As Sam would say, the church is not a building, it's the people inside, right? It's the people that gather. So church means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And we know this because if you watch the news, there's a lot of negative portrayal about church. If you follow politics, you know that church is seen as a voting segment. And it might be important to some people, and it might be really irritating to other people. Church might mean to you family or a support group. It might just bring up connotations of something I have to do uh, to to kind of offset some of the bad things I do. (laughs) A lot of people think very differently about church and what it is. Some people uh, think it's completely irrelevant. Some people think it's offensive. But the question I want to ask this morning is, what do you think God thinks of the church? Because that's ultimately what matters. And this is what the Bible says. The church is the bride of Christ. So for some of us, church might just be something we do. Like I said, it's just kind of maybe a habit. It becomes you know, a religious routine, whatever it might be. I'm not saying that to you. I'm just throwing it out there. I know a lot of people in my life. I, I grew up in, in that kind of environment. Uh, but the Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. It says, that Jesus said, I will build my church. It's very personal to God. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 5 that Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So personal to God that he refers to the church as her, as his bride, his beloved. So when we're getting ready on a Sunday morning and we're kind of grumpy about having to go somewhere early on a Sunday morning when it's our day off and we'd rather just sleep and we think, you know, we take these things lightly, I just want us to get a clear picture that God does not. Now, church isn't just something that happens on Sunday morning. Church is what happens when God's people gather, wherever, anytime, anyplace. That's what what it is, and that's what it's about. But this is the key. To Jesus, whatever is going on in the church, it's not irritating him. It's not irrelevant to him. He's got his eye on it. His focus on it. And if we read the, the letters to the churches in Revelation, we know that he's watching what is happening in the churches that are built in his name. And so, this is Jesus. This is what he cares about. God is paying attention. And why would he pay attention to things that silly people like us do on a Sunday morning? Why would he? Because the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 3. Something that uh, took me a long time. I read Ephesians a lot of times. And I think maybe three years ago, I was reading through it again, and this verse actually for the first time in my Christian life stood out to me, and I can't believe that I've always missed it. But uh, it's in Ephesians three, ten, and I'm going to read a little bit more of that for context sake. But this, God says, is the purpose, the eternal purpose for the church. That's important stuff, right? Are you with me? Paul says to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Verse 10, look. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to, all, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose. That's the words, right? Eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So, so Paul says this is the eternal purpose of God for this church that he loves, his beloved. This is us. And he says this is the eternal purpose that the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. And if you read a little bit more in context of what he's talking about, the, that manifold or uh, multifaceted wisdom of God that he's talking about is, is the revealing of the gospel to not just the Jewish people anymore, but to everybody. Everybody. And that, he says, I mean, we can, we can look at this several different ways. The eternal purpose of God is that he would use the church, capital C, church, the big church, to show... His wisdom, His plan. And I don't know about you, but I find that completely incredible. That he, that he, God, can do anything. He could reveal His plan in any way. Any way possible. Any way He chooses. And He chose us to do this work. His eternal purpose. So... Uh, Eugene Peterson, in his, in his uh, paraphrase called The Message, he, he, talks, he talks about what this mystery is, what this thing is that Paul is so excited about. and He says, the mystery is that the people who have never heard of God and those who have heard of him all their lives stand on the same ground before God. They get the same offer, the same help, the same promises in Christ. The message is accessible and welcoming to everyone across the board. This is the wisdom of God. This is his plan that we are supposed to make known. His plan is that this message is available to everybody. This message is what we sang this morning, that if if God is for us, who can be against us? This message that we're supposed to make known is that God is for you. Wherever you are, whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, this is what God sees the purpose of the church is. Now, I don't know about you. I've, I've, I've seen some crazy stuff in the church. And I, and I think to myself, wow, we've, <laughs> I don't know how we get here. How do we get to being the wisdom of God or showing the wisdom of God when there's so many fractions and so, many, so much infighting in going on? And it's hard and it's sad. But I know that Jesus has his focus on it and I know that he's at work. I saw recently a a, a Facebook post from a friend of mine who lives in Canada said that 50% of Canadians think that religion does more harm than good. Half the people. I'm not sure what it's like in the U.S., but I think it's probably a growing number. It's a sad state. It's a sad state of affairs and that's where we're at. But... uh, let 's keep on track here if it's our job as the church if it's our job to make god 's plan for humanity known where do we start i'm glad you asked let's look at John chapter 17 in this prayer in John 17 Jesus is praying to the Father and it's a beautiful prayer and if it's been a while since you've looked at it. I, I encourage you to read through the whole thing because this is insight into the heart of Jesus. This is insight into what mattered to Jesus and therefore, as his followers, what should matter to us. But I just want to read two verses down, starting in verse 20. So he's praying for the sanctification. He's praying He's praying that these people, his followers, would would kind of... Stay on course. Stay on the course. That's what he's praying. And then he gets to to verse 20, and he says, I do not ask for these only. So I'm not just praying for these 12 or 120 or 5,000 or whatever it was that he was praying for at the time. He says, but I also pray for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. I am not praying for these ones only, but I'm praying for all those who will believe in me through their word. Verse 21 that they, would be, uh, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. <laughs> when I read that, like it's, it brings a lump, honestly, to my throat. Because this is Jesus' prayer for us that we would be so unified that we would display the manifold wisdom of God to the world. And he says, and then the world may believe that you sent me. So he's saying, this is it. This is what happens. When we, us, and not just the people in this room, but the people in churches that follow Jesus in our city, in our state, in our country, in the world... When there is a unity, when there's so much love for one another, and so much like mindedness, and so much shared in passion and in purpose, that this is what happens. This is the result. The world will believe that Jesus was sent by God for them. This is how the plan happens. Do you guys know that Jesus was praying for that? <laughs> I, I, I find it fascinating and beautiful. And amazing, but sometimes I get so wrapped up in my own stuff that I'm like, wait, he's not praying for my new car. He he he's not praying for me to get a promotion. He's not praying for you know Beyoncé's twins. (laughs) He doesn't have politics, the president's on this list. He has you and I on this list. And he prays that we would be one like he is one with the Father. Speaks of intimacy. It speaks of a close, loving relationship. It speaks of family. That's what he prays for us. So if we look at what Paul says in Ephesians 3, that this is the purpose, the eternal purpose of God is that we would make known to the world the plan that God has to show that he is for us, for everybody. That's the plan. And Jesus says the plan comes to fruition when these people start to love one another and love on one another and have so much unity that the world will take notice that there's something about what is happening in the church of God that his wisdom would be made known. And they would believe that Jesus is who he said he is. He prays that we would be one. Not the kind of unity that makes us all go out and buy the same clothes or tennis shoes. (laughs) Not that kind of unity that means that we all have to look alike, dress alike, or think exactly alike. But it does say that we would have the mind of Christ. That there is this real unity in what we're about unity isn't maybe what you think of right off the bat. Unity, unity thrives in diversity. Unity thrives in our differences with one another. It lives in grace because none of us are perfect. It tears away at loneliness. It tears away at uh, self-destruction or isolation. It tears away at the idea that I'm all alone. And I maybe go to a, a church anonymously on Sunday and I sit somewhere where nobody talks to me and I leave before anyone gets to greet me. It tears away all that stuff because it means that we are one. Not a, not a single person in Jesus' idea of a unified church, not a single person walks away unnoticed. It's unity that requires all of us to think about and walk in a way that demonstrates the fact that we belong. We belong to Jesus. We belong here. We belong to one another and with one another. Because everybody is gifted in a way that we all need. You're sitting on a gift that somebody else needs, probably in this room. Think about that for a second. But unity is hard, and unity is nearly impossible when you add pride, proud, proud hearts, self-righteousness. So Paul makes this plea, and this is where I kind of would like to camp out for the next little while, in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And he's just been talking about unity in the previous three verses. Uh, he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete, Paul says, by being like-minded. There it is. Being like-minded, having the same love, being one in Spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, Value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but to, uh, um, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then he goes into what most scholars believe is a hymn. These words are actually a song from his time. So verse 6 through 11, he says... that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, Paul is writing to the Philippians, and there's some, there's some fighting going on even in, amongst themselves in that city. There's some people not getting along. And so he's like, this is, this is what it is. If, you are, if there's any joy in your relationship with Christ, if there's anything good about what's going on in your faith life, and he says, make my joy complete. And he's, he's speaking as a spiritual father to his church here, to the, to the people that he helped plant this church. And he's like, he's like, look, think of yourselves less than other people. Put other people's interests before your own. And that is so contrary to what we hear in advertising every day. It is so contrary to the world we live in. But this is the recipe, he says, that we walk in humility Because unity happens when God's people follow his example. Unity comes from humility. So God has this eternal purpose for the church to make known his plan for all people, for all of humanity. God is for you. Jesus said the way we make God's plan known is by unity, our oneness and love and spirit and purpose. And Paul says here, there is only one, uh, only unity when there is humility. And then he gives us the example of the ultimate humility in Christ. Jesus, he says, who is God, didn't think so highly of himself or highly of his position or of his glory that he was willing to take on the limitations of humanity. He went with full knowledge of knowing what was going to be required of him to complete the work. And he came willingly. I think about this often, probably not often enough, but I think about this that Jesus, the preemptive one, and and this scripture is confirmation that he didn't wasn't just born out of thin air, he existed from eternity past with God the Father. And here he is, if you can imagine, Jesus in heaven is worshipped by adoring angels, legions of angels. Jesus is on the throne, angels adoring him. He has every comfort of heaven, things that we cannot even imagine. And for some reason, he thinks, I'm going to go save these people, (laughs) right? This is the plan of God from eternity past, we know, and I'm being a little bit flippant. But I'm just saying, like, look, here he is. He has everything he could ever want, and life is perfect for him. But he sees us, whom are the object of his desire, whom he loves, And so he says, I I know that I am equal with God, but it is not something that I want to hold on to for the sake of losing them. And so that's what he says. This is the ultimate in humility. That's what Paul tells us, that Jesus, who is God, whose equality, he says, with God the Father, he doesn't count it as something to grasp or hold on to so much that he would lose the humanity that he loves, that he created in his own image. So he comes. He comes as a baby, born in a manger, born among cow patties and lamb chops, born in a stinky place. Not a castle. He didn't come as a king, an earthly king. He came very humbly, born to peasants. Think about that. God Almighty, the example he he gives us is a baby. Couldn't even walk or talk. (laughs) Born to a teenage girl. Think about the humility that that took the God of the universe. And this is the example. No castle, no throne. He replaced the adoration of angels with the scoffing contempt of people, the same people he came to die for. And he says, I came to serve them. He came to serve and not be served. Humility is hard. Humanity is pride-prone. C.S. Lewis said that the pride is the root of every sin. I struggled with that for a little while, but I think looking through Scripture after Scripture, I see what he's saying. So if you have a tree and all these branches display all the sins of humanity, at the root of all of these is pride. And I thought, well, maybe. I mean, let's look back. So Lucifer, uh, I don't know if you remember this, Maybe the first sin, right? Ezekiel 28, 17 says that his heart became proud. Lucifer, his heart became proud on account of his beauty. And it says he corrupted his wisdom because of his own splendor. He apparently became so impressed with his own beauty and intelligence and power and position that he was no longer satisfied with his position in the hierarchy of heaven he wanted to be worshipped. That was his pride. And then if you think about the fall in Genesis chapter 3, that's what happened there too, right? He came after them and he said, you can be like God. And the scripture tells us that that was appealing to Eve. Amongst other things. It looked good to eat too. <laughs> she was thinking with her taste buds. But also he says that, that exactly that, that he came tempting them with pride. And they fell for it. I mean, yeah, I'm going to be like God? That sounds pretty cool. He also tried the same thing on Jesus if you look in Matthew 4. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. So he's, what's he doing here? He's displaying his own pride, but he's also offering Jesus the kingdoms of the world. He's appealing to his pride. And we know how the stories go. Adam and Eve, of course, they fell for it, but Jesus did not. The point is, there is a weakness in human armor, and this is what it is. It's pride. It's the tendency for all of us to think that we know better than somebody else, that we are better than somebody else, or that our our way is the only way, our way is the only right way. It's all of this stuff that happens. We have a weakness in our own arm her. We like to think of ourselves as the hero of our own story or any story we tell. And really, when we read and understand the gospel, we know that Jesus is the hero of our story. We are prone we are prone to put ourselves on his throne, making decisions based on what's best for us and not based on what's better for somebody else or others. And so, therefore, we consider ourselves first. Therefore, Paul says, this is what's happening in Philippi. The reason that you're you're bickering is because everybody thinks they're right. Everybody thinks their interest is the most important one. And he's saying, stop that. Consider somebody else first. Put them above you. Put their needs above your needs. Put their, their ideas above your ideas and see what happens. This is humility. And I know that most of the time when, we, when these things happen, I know a lot of us have experience not something and we're saying, no, no, I've tried that your way and it doesn't work, so do it my way. And we have the best intentions and I'm not saying that's wrong. But we want to do something good. We want, we want our efforts to work well so if we have experience and we want to put that to work, I understand all of that. But pride can give us the biggest blind spot and Before we know it, we're judging others instead of serving them. And that is the opposite of what the gospel calls us to do. That is the opposite of showing the world the wisdom of God. That is just us throwing stones. And pride does that to us. They say the funny thing about humility is that once you know you have it, you've lost it. (laughs) And don't get me wrong, because I know... Sometimes we think about humility and we think about this, like, this kind of lowly, meek thing. And it doesn't, do, uh, it doesn't do us any good. It doesn't do the world any good. And it doesn't do Jesus' kingdom any good to play small. We have a role to play, each of us. I like this quote by Nelson Mandela. He said, There is no passion to be found playing small and settling for a life that is less than the one you are capable of living. There's nothing good about playing small. But putting somebody else above you just might be what the humility that we're called to. Putting their ideas first, putting their interests first, serving them might be the most important thing we can do in taking our eyes off our own struggles and uh, and feeding our own self-despair and feeding our own depression. If we take the words of Paul at face value, we should be thinking about others first. We should know the mindset of Christ so well that we adopt it as our own mindset. It's a very popular word in our culture right now. But let me, let me read a few scriptures to you uh, that I think teach this mindset of Christ. As each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and you call me Lord. And you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Do not neglect to do good and to share with what you and to share what you have. Another place he says, "For though I am free from all, I made myself a servant to all, that I might make more of them." It's Paul. Paul also says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which Christ prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Peter says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. See, over and over and over again, there are so many places in the Scriptures. You can can do a word search, if you'd like, on one another, and just see what the Scriptures tell us about how we're supposed to be living as the church. It's all about loving and serving. It's all about showing honor and, and being involved, like family is involved. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know about yours. My family's a little bit crazy, so I don't use them as, as an example. But this is it. This is what he's saying. All of this, we are supposed to be contributing to the needs of one another. We're supposed to be serving one another. You've been given a gift for a reason. And maybe you're not sure what that is, and that's okay. The way you find out is you start. Start somewhere. Start helping. Start serving. Start loving. God will make that clear. I love the, the quote by Gandhi where he said that the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. Wise words. And so your problems, your issues, this, the junk you came in with this morning, those are very real. And I'm not trying to minimize any of that. I know that they can be consuming. They can, If you let them and revel in them and all you do is think about them, they can take over. And you become this person that's like, oh, I'm so terrible or, or this thing's happening to me and I can't control it or whatever it might be. I understand that and I've been through that and I'm just saying this. Here's the prescription. Let somebody else into your life and start serving them. Find a way to serve them. The prescription is what Paul says and humility is value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, think about this. In your relationships with, with one another, us, he says, have the mindset of Christ Jesus. It's a big, big statement. And I just, I mean, just by way of clarification, this is not how we earn salvation, just to be clear. This is what we do once we have it. This is how we're to, to behave and act and walk. walk a, live a life worthy of the calling, right? The, the gospel itself points us in this direction. Jesus gave us the example. And he says, have that mindset, that same mindset of Jesus in our relationships with one another. So, like I said, I know we come here, we come with burdens we come with troubles we come with a, a lot of junk that's happening in life if we can lay that stuff aside long enough to talk to somebody else and hear about what their struggles are then we then we suddenly start sharing those burdens together does that make sense we 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 bear the burdens of each other we help each other through the hard times what happens so often is that it's pride. It's pride that keeps us from sharing those things. It's pride that makes us think that we can just we can heap this stuff on our own backs and our own backpacks and carry it wherever we go. It's pride that makes us think that we don't want anybody to know that our life is anything less than Facebook perfect. Because <laughs> it's really easy to post the good times, but you don't see. I mean, and sometimes we post crying babies. <laughs> But we, you don't see the junk that's happening in people's lives on Facebook very often. And when you do, you tell them to stop whining. This is, this is the world we live in. People project perfection. We, 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 we project a happy life or whatever it is. And all of us are dealing with stuff. All of us are struggling through life. We're all strugglers. Amen? Maybe your life is perfect and you're like, i me, man. But if that's you, then we need your help. We're here to support one another. Maybe it's a financial burden. Maybe it's a relationship burden. We are here. This isn't just somewhere we come spend our time on Sunday morning to feel better about ourselves. We are here for a purpose. And you might have a gift that somebody on this side of the room needs and vice versa. And you've been sitting on it because you don't know what to do with it. And you don't know what to do with it because you're not talking to people and you're not talking to people because you're afraid to share your burdens and you're, you're afraid to share your burdens because it's pride. Is that harsh? I do the same thing. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm in the same boat. I went, through, I went through a marriage failure because of this very reason. Bared all these burdens. I didn't want anybody to know that I was struggling in my marriage. And it fell apart. And I let the wheels fall off. That's how I always I don't know how else to describe it. I spent so many so much time, so many years trying to hold it all together. And I couldn't do it anymore until I just let it fall. And that's what happens when we don't bear each other's burdens. But if we do if we do what we're supposed to do as the church of God that is supposed to be making known to the world that God is for us, no matter your junk, no matter what you're struggling with, it it doesn't matter. We've all been through it. We've all seen it. We all have been, maybe dealt with way worse things than you're struggling with now. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because God is for you, whoever you are. And we are his people. So there needs to be, there needs to be a, a dropping of the walls, a bringing down of the walls. There needs to be humility in God's people. And there needs to be a realness about us tenderness about us. So, again, if you can lay your junk aside long enough to realize that you're not alone in it, that there are people in this room that need you, and you might think that you're you're useless to other people in this room, but you're not. You're not. Nobody. Nobody slips by in the unity of Christ's church. And I'm saying this is a step of faith. Come down off the throne of your life for a little bit. And let Jesus sit there. Concern yourself with that something else, or with somebody else, with what they're going through, what their what their ideas are, and maybe it just is the first step in the part that you're playing in this bigger picture, and something that is bigger than you, and something that is bigger than me, and something that is greater than our combined struggles in life. It's a church. It's the church is what we are supposed to be doing. Making known the manifold, the multifaceted, the beautiful plan of God that he is for us. He is for you. And we make it known when we have unity in the body of Christ. And we have unity in the body of Christ when God's people can humble themselves and love, love, love. And like Alex prayed, see with the eyes of Christ, that changes us. Amen? Amen. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's not easy. We thank you that it calls us to uncomfortable places. It calls us to be vulnerable. It calls us to be one in mind and one in spirit and one in love and to take on the mindset of Jesus who gave himself, who gave himself. It calls us to take the mindset of Jesus who gave himself for the sake of humanity. So I pray, Father, that you would give us that mindset today, that you would give us a profound love for one another and a profound burden for what is happening in the lives of our family around us and help us to take our blinders off see ourselves the way you see us. Help us to lay our pride aside long enough to love the way Jesus loves. Help us to love each other more deeply and draw us closer to you.